start using cutting-edge warp speed 5G technology with your cell phone. Let me tell you about my friends at MobileMobile.io. They have an ultra-fast 4G LTE and 5G network that covers 99% of Americans. So they've got you covered everywhere. Think about it for a moment. You have the opportunity to take a test drive for 10 days with unlimited talk, text, and premium data. What is premium data? Premium data is an allotment of a cellular data that you receive from a higher priority on the network. You won't get throttled like you will with some of those, well, non-brand service providers. To find out more information, all you have to do is go to mobilemobile.io. That's mobilemobile.io to start your 10-day free trial. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida, here is your host, Dr. Jay Allen, on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Well, I have to tell you there has been an interesting twist so far with this episode that's about to come up. We originally planned to air it, no problem, no issue, but here's the funny part. After getting some legal review about the episode, I was told, or better informed, that it would be in my best interest to change and edit some of the information that was given on the episode. And what I mean by the change is actually changing the person's voice to protect them. The interview today is a mental health interview. And as you listen to the story, the story becomes very detailed. And my legal advisors told me that it would probably be in my best interest to change the person's voice to give them the availability of being anonymous on the episode. So you will hear the voice, but it'll be a little bit different than most normal people's voice. So don't take it the wrong way. It was done on purpose that way. But I really think that there's a good story behind this. So take a listen today on Safety FM, and this is a story about mental health and really some of the different aspects of things that can occur that could lead you to potentially having a mental health issue. Listen to the episode here today on Safety FM. I know it's not your typical safety style podcast and broadcast, but I really think it's an important message. Enjoy it here on Safety FM. You are listening to a renowned safety expert, Dr. Jay Allen, on Safety FM. Changing safety cultures, one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Join the fun on social media and find us on Facebook at Safety FM. How did the whole journey start for you? How did you decide that you were going to start talking to people in regards of number one, mental health, and number two, how did you start getting involved with nonprofit organizations? So to answer your first question, um, 
my journey actually, I sort of backed, backtracked into my therapy. Um, what happened was um, I had a stalker and he was just a student that I was in class with. And for whatever reason, you know how they just uh, number you down the line and you get in a study group of about 10 people um, and you exchange phone numbers and do your projects. That's how it started. Um, we were just classmates. And it was normal, high and by, no big deal, finished up the two years. And a couple of years later, I ran into him. And I'm thinking, no big deal. I mean, you can run into anybody in a public place. And after a little while, I began to notice that I saw him more frequently and more frequently. And then he basically started the whole four-year process Um and uh, of stalking me, um, but it started out like a little game, delivering a bunch of pizzas to my home and like stupid childhood pranks. And then it got way out of line. So the biggest thing was when my previous company putting security in, um, he was delivering stuff to my work. So I had to let people in on it. He was doing a lot of, um, uh, well, he was threatening me, and, and, and um, I had to get the police involved. And so at the worst part of this, I had gotten down to almost 90 pounds, and I couldn't sleep. And I didn't know why I couldn't sleep. So I went to my doctor. They gave me some, you know, sleeping pills. That didn't work. And I just started Googling uh, psychiatrist mental health because I had no idea where to start. But I knew that if a sleeping pill didn't work, I had to talk to somebody. Um, and then I found Dr. Laurie Harden and she was able to put me on medication that allowed me to de-stress and sleep. So I finished this with him for four years while I'm seeing, you know, my psychiatrist and stuff that finally ends. He's out of my life. He's out of harm's way. Um, and a few years later I get married <laughs> I started to realize that um, I'd never really merged my life with someone. So, um, as you do when you get married, you share a bank account and all of that stuff. It started to come out with my journey. Um, I didn't know I had, I mean, I knew I had anxiety from having a stalker, but I didn't know that I had a lot of, I want to say, emotional behavioral issues that were unresolved because I didn't know they existed. So it was actually my husband who was saying things and I just thought he was making a big deal out of things because you don't know what you don't know. And I grew up, my parents came from very abusive households and um, they did much better than their parents. But um, when you have people that um, it wasn't something that was talked about too much unless you had a serious episode, but in the eighties and nineties, nobody went to a therapy or a mental health provider unless they had serious problems. So you just bought a self-help book or, or found a church group or some kind of, you know, and um, that was my mother's healing process. My father's healing process was just to forget about it and shove it all deep inside, um, which I had done and I didn't know it. So through going 
uh, to see a therapist. Um, I Googled a therapist and I found Shoshana Vigorito, who is a uh, therapist. She was the one that actually diagnosed me. And um, that's when I started to realize. <sighs> At first, I thought something's wrong with me. But that's the first time I started to realize that I had a, an issue, a problem that needed to be resolved. And had I not do that, done that, to be honest with you, I don't know if my husband and I would still be married. Well, let me ask you a couple of questions there, because I know that you covered a lot in, in that particular yeah. answer. And, and it's fine, but you said that you had the stalker for four years. So yes. you, went to, you went to school, the person vanished out of your life, all of a sudden they did a reappearance. And how did that reappearance occur? So... Um, we were in a study group together, and I had a Facebook account at the time. I don't anymore. Um, I haven't had a Facebook account in about six years. And um, what happened was, he, I didn't think much. I mean, I went to school with him, college with him. He had never acted out in any um, strange way. So um, I actually accepted the friend request. And then um, I just thought he lived in town because I ran into him at the grocery store once, at the mall. Once, and these were all public places. Again, nothing out of the ordinary. One day I posted on Facebook that I wasn't feeling so well. And that's when he showed up at my apartment. I was single. He showed up and I looked through the peephole because... I wasn't expecting any guests and my parents had actually visited me earlier and they went home. And, um, so I looked at the peephole and I said, why are you here? Because it's just so weird. And there was no, um, no invitation, no, nothing leading up. And so I spoke with him. I had a bad feeling and I did not open the door and I spoke with him through the door and he said, um, I wanted to bring you some soup because you weren't feeling well. And I, being kind of ignorant, said, how do you know that? Because it had been a few years. I graduated college in 2008. This was 2014. So I hadn't heard from him in years, right? And I said, how do you know that? And he goes, well, I saw your Facebook post. And I said, what? He said, yeah, you weren't feeling well. I said, that's true. But how do you know where I live and how I don't understand this is scaring me. And he said, no, I don't want to scare you. I just wanted you to feel better. I bought some soup. And I said, but even my parents call me before they come over or um, unless it's an emergency. And I said, even in the house I grew up in, although I know the alarm code, I don't just walk into my parents' home. It's, it's, a, it's a courtesy. It's a respect issue. And, and you're uninvited. I don't understand this. He, I said, I'm not interested in you in any way, shape, or form. We went to college, and we were on good terms, um, you know, as a, a contact. I wouldn't even call him a friend. And he goes, no, no, I, I love you like a sister. And I said, I appreciate that, and I hope that's the case. But with all due respect, thank you. But please, um, this is scary, and I would like you to leave my home. And I don't want to ruin your life because he majored in um, political science, I did not 
he, he, he could practice law, right? I did not want to um, ruin his career or anything. There was nothing. And so I said, I'd, I'd just like you to leave. I don't want to have to call the cops. And he bent down. I'll never forget this. He bent down to lay the soup um, in a bag on my doorstep. And I said, please take that with you. I appreciate it, but I don't want anything from you. And from that day forward, the next four years um, were hell. And I worked with, he was, he lived part-time in Florida and part-time in Chicago. So he would travel back and forth. He would get little phones. They call them go phones. You can just pay for it and call people, then throw it away. And eventually you could trace it, but it's so hard. Most people uh, in general law enforcement, unless they really have to, they don't do that. Um, as I found out. So he began to send, um, lots of different, it started out with sending pizzas to my house. And I'm like, what is this? My apartment. And then it actually started with obscene phone calls. He would disguise his voice. He would send me texts. I'll never forget. One of them read, prepare to meet your maker slash assassin tonight. And, um, that's kind of what I, I went through. Um, he started to actually send packages to my work because there was nothing much that the police could do unless he physically harmed me. So he could stalk me. He could watch me from a distance at work, uh, at my apartment. I had neighbors that looked out for me. It, it was horrible. He was sending stuff to the office. He even sent a letter to the owner and president saying that I was doing obscene things with business partners and none of that was true. And it was, I, I was shocked. I mean, I'm like, what's going on? And, um, I couldn't understand it. And then he fraudulently charged over $70,000 to me through UPS. He would make it look like I had created an account and he would send packages. I think the furthest package he sent was to Nome, Alaska, I had the uh, postmaster general calling me. I had the head of the post office calling me for strange packages. And when they, I was the one with the problem. And I used to have to give them the police reference number, the case number. And I had a little notebook, like what you can buy in a dollar store. And every time he contacted me, all I could do was report it. Um, and try to keep the evidence, um, because you build a story and that story is your evidence so that that can help protect you. The police just finally told Carla, Hey, there's nothing we can do until he physically puts his hand on her. And I'll never forget. I said, so you mean he can threaten me, stalk me, stare at me, but until he tries to murder me, nobody can help me. And I'll never forget the male police officer said to me, he said, unfortunately, yes, ma'am, that's correct. And it was then that I realized, you know, my life was really in danger and there was nothing that I could do really to protect myself. And, um, Carla Vega wrote a letter on her own, even though she had people in the police department that said, Carla, that's really sweet, but I don't think it's going to help. She, on her own, took it upon herself to write a letter to the state's attorney, a letter which I will treasure 
and keep with me until this day. In fact, I used to keep it in my glove compartment because if anything happened to me, I wanted people to know who it was. And that letter is what saved my life. And the Florida, uh, the Florida state's attorney, their office called me and they said, Hey, um, this is serious. And I said, yeah, I know, but nobody's doing anything about doing these are the case numbers. And they took my case on and I had a wonderful attorney compile evidence. He sent obscene things, cremation information with my mother's name on it. So I had Baldwin Fairchild contacting me to uh, bury my mother, who's very much alive. It was really uh, horrific. And he would send, uh, take um, photos that I had had. I guess he copied them from Facebook and he cut my eyes out and he, you know, draw weird things on my face, horrible, evil things and send me raw, bloody meat. And it, it, it never ended for four years every day. Um, I had to do something and I, I kept having to show up to court and try to keep a job and try to cancel all the subscriptions he did to me and constantly for four years. So yeah, I got down to 90 pounds and Carla Vega were able to track him through the UPS packages and through the um, IPS address to his laptop. And after that, I finally was able, people realized what was happening because I nearly got fired. People kept thinking it was me having a mental problem doing something, but it, it wasn't. And I think that's the worst thing when you have somebody who, for whatever reason, is trying to destroy you. And everybody thinks you must be crazy because nothing could be proven the way he did things. So he was very eloquent. He knew just enough to be dangerous as an attorney. And the only thing I truly requested at the trial was that he would by no means ever be able to get this expunged from his record. Therefore, he would never be able to practice law. Because it's not a vendetta. If he has mental health issues, people trust certain people in authority, doctors, police officers, so forth. I didn't want somebody to go through what I had gone through or worse and uh, have a law named after them <laughs> to protect other people after their death. And that's really what I thought. And that was a four-year ordeal. Um, and that's the first time I learned what anxiety was. So let me interrupt you right there, because this is normally a conversation that a lot of people will not have. And I will tell you, anytime that we start having a discussion about mental health, people get kind of squeamish. So I appreciate you being so open about this. So as you're going forward, so now we're four years after this is starting to occur. Now you've been through the trial aspect of it. And this is having an impact on you physically, mentally, career-wise. When you start taking a look, how do you come to, I guess, the acknowledgement that you're realizing that you are having a problem mentally also? So all of a sudden, I'm not going to say that he rubbed off on you in regards of, you know, some of the issues that you're having, but it's playing a big, I guess it's playing a big factor into your yeah. life, what's yeah. going on. So how do you make that determination that you need to... I guess we'll say in this case, seek counseling or, or seek help. So ironically enough, I'm friends with my sister-in-law. That's how I met my husband. 
it's her brother. So um, the trial ended. So I was very open with my husband about everything I'd been through once, obviously, I got to know him dating. And we got married pretty quickly. That's when, as I merged my life with him, mind you, a few months later, because that the trial ended and everything was done, as we started to merge our life together, we started to have a conflict, which is normal. Um, anybody living with anybody, romantically or not, can experience that. However, for me, I didn't think that I was being um, verbally abusive or confrontational. I thought he was exaggerating. And I'm kind of a small, pretty mellow person. You know, I'm almost 5'5", five five and I'm 117 pounds, and I'm just not a, a uh, throw-my-weight-around violent kind of person. I'm very mellow, and in general, I enjoy quiet things. So I had never realized that I could be, I guess, loud. And I didn't think I was because that's how I grew up. And um, we kept having issues. So about a year after our marriage, we came to a point where my husband just said, I don't know what's going on, but we need to figure things out. It's, it's, not, it's not working this way. And I took it to mean that he wanted to abandon me and leave me. No, he wanted to work through things and resolve it. And um, I would get so emotional and I would think he was making a big deal. And then later I almost felt like I came to my senses a little bit and I would go, well, maybe I was too hard on him. Maybe I was yelling and I didn't realize it. Maybe it's not a good idea when you're upset with your husband to get three inches from his face and start you know, um, saying verbally abusive things. And I didn't realize that it was verbally abusive. I just thought I was angry letting him know how I felt. That's not a justification. That's where I was mentally at that point. I didn't, I didn't see a line. I didn't realize I crossed a line. I didn't realize that that was disrespectful because that's how I grew up. So I was kind of desperate because I felt like, you know, we were, um, well, our marriage was starting to dissolve. Well, I Googled um, like therapists, marriage therapists and stuff like that. And I called a few places. I actually reached uh, uh, and she picked up the phone and she asked me, you know, um, like a, a normal person would, what kind of therapy are you looking for? And through those questions, I kind of explained to her what was going on with my husband and I, and I didn't mean to, but I, I just couldn't hold my emotions back. I just started to break down and cry this. And she said, I don't care what it takes. We'll work out a price. Talk with your husband. You know, he's for this. But she said, I'd like to get you into my office. And she spoke with me about some things through that conversation. And when I went to her with what I didn't think was a, a problem at all, what I didn't think, I didn't even know to address it because I didn't think it was a problem. Um, it started to come out through therapy and I started thinking, oh, good, I'm getting better. However, when you go to therapy, sometimes repressed things can come out because as a child, you don't usually know where to store this information because your brain is at a certain level to, um, 
to handle certain information. So it's like a, a, an information overload. And I repressed things and I didn't even remember that I repressed it until something would come out. I shocked myself by just blurting out information that I didn't even know I was going to say. It's like I unlocked a, a, a door in my mind and my heart that I, I had buried. And I shocked myself when I said it. And she looked at me and she said, there you go. And I was just sitting there in shock like, whoa, I didn't realize certain things were abnormal. And my parents are not bad people, but they never had, they came from very abusive homes. I'm talking um, physical, mental, verbal, and sexual abuse in their youth, childhood, and uh, adolescence into teenager, you know, until they got out of the house, you know. So um, they never really sought therapy because it just wasn't done back then unless you really had a meltdown and both of them could function in life and did not have nervous breakdowns, right? So they did much better than their parents. However, because nothing was truly addressed, because since they were doing better than their parents, I guess they didn't think there was an issue to address, much like myself. I didn't think there was an issue to address um, because it seems normal to you. And um, so that's when I began to realize, and I didn't have it. I'm not saying I had a terrible childhood, but that's when I began to realize, oh, my parents have, and I say have because some things are still not dealt with, have some mental um, health issues that were unresolved. And as a result, I don't blame my parents for what I do as an adult. I don't blame them at all. I stopped blaming a long time ago because I realized when you blame, you do two things. You're not confronting yourself, number one. So you're, you know, there may be a reason somebody did something bad to you, but it doesn't give you a right to continue to lash out at others or yourself over it. And so it doesn't give you an excuse to continue with the behavior, right? And so I don't blame them because it's not helpful. And also when you start blaming people, you just make excuses for yourself in general. So I didn't want to pardon my behavior by making a valid case for why I am the way I am and I shouldn't have to change. And I kind of equate it this way. Um, if you get a failing grade, you fail a class, right? But some people don't realize they have issues and they're willing to pass with a D, right? You can pass the class with a D. It'll bring your grades down and you'll move forward but you won't have a firm foundation. And I realized if I was going to get anywhere in my life, mentally and emotionally, then I couldn't allow myself to pass with a D. It's not going to be an option if I wanted to confront this and change my behavior that I had never known anything different from. And um, that's when my restructure began through medication helping me because it's, it's very intense when you realize things about your parents and yourself. And I was angry for a long time 
And I did a lot of things in my youth out of anger, not realizing I was angry, but wondering why my life wasn't going well. <laughs> and it sounds stupid to say I didn't know I was doing things, but some behaviors that are um, inherited, <laughs> if you will, become, you think it's you, but it's not part of you. It, it's, it's a learned behavior that you've been accustomed to. But you're not the problem. The problem is in your way of thinking. And until it's like an addict, until you come to a, a point where you realize you have some kind of a problem, you're not going to get any better. And through that problem, just like an addict, every day, no matter how bad that day is or how good that day is, they have to make a conscious decision not to use or not to drink whatever, the, whatever their addiction or vice is. Every day, if I get upset, if anything happens, I have to make a conscious decision to this day to change my behavior because it's still not fully a part of me. <laughs> I don't, because I don't realize I go back. And by becoming aware, that's the only way I'm going to keep myself in a pattern that is going to move forward and not pull me back into that same state that even my, my parents live in till this day, they have not fully been able to realize or see things. And that was my journey to realizing I had, um, not only anxiety issues, um, but, um, I thought I had border person personality, borderline personality disorder because I, um, I could go from extremes, but those were caused by things that were repressed that I didn't know were in me. In regards of people that it might be going through similar scenarios as you have in regards of, you know, coming to that realization because of a catastrophic event that kind of really was a causality of what occurred. What would you, re what would you recommend to them? What would you say? How would you go about saying, you know, what, what would be the beginning stages on what they should start doing? Anytime. But for me, and this is something I practice, anytime something is not going well in your life, especially if it's something life-threatening, um, when I know that I am not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, I knew I needed to go to somebody that would know better. And I was scared because I thought, boy, only crazy people go to the doctor for that. And... There's a lot of people um, that go every day because they're dealing with things. Um, and I would say it's always good to get self-help books, and there's a lot of great things. But there's definitely, definitely something very positive about... Uh, and, and seek out people. Don't just go to anybody, but... Um, uh, there is benefits to definitely speaking with a therapist and or psychologist or psychiatrist because if you don't have any issues to resolve, then that's only going to let you know, hey, I guess I'm doing good. And with how I um, confront this issue and how I respond to this issue or to things, that will keep you on a um, – just to keep you in check, just like you go to the doctor for a checkup to make sure just your general health is okay. I think everybody should have – a mental checkup to see how they're doing 
And you may not have anything extreme, and that's beautiful and wonderful. But maybe you have a friend that does, or a child, or a spouse, or a parent. There's so many, and you know, I'm not saying play doctor to someone else, but by doing things within yourself, I think when you shine a light on things, you can see better. So if there's nothing to see, then you know you've got a, a clean area in your life, and that's good. But even if it's minimal, knowing about it and addressing it, that's the first steps to realizing that um, you can control yourself and your emotions. And I can feel anything because all feelings are valid. However, I must respond, um, not in my animal brain. You know, I need to respond, not out of fight or flight. I need to know who I am. And my emotions do not, uh, they don't define who I am. They're a part of me, but I am not an emotion. I'm, I'm a human with a soul. And, and when I realized that, I think that was a breakthrough. And I would tell anybody, there's nothing to fear by going and just checking it out, seeing where you're at. You may find something you need to address, or you may find you're doing pretty good. But what you want the results, just like you take a test um, to make to rule out any diseases at your primary care physician, um, it's not a burden to find out. It's a starting point, a reference, if you will. And I think all of us have experienced things, and that which doesn't break us makes us stronger. However... I do firmly believe we don't get over anything in this life. We either learn to live with it or we learn to live without it. And how you respond and cope is ultimately your decision. I can blame everybody and I can have valid points, but I'm going to live with myself for the rest of my life. I don't want to be miserable and I don't want to make anyone else miserable. So I would tell anybody it wouldn't hurt just to seek uh, medical advice just to make sure you're on the right path i really do appreciate your coming on and actually sharing that story the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples they should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company no part of this podcast may be reproduced stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any form or by any means mechanical electronic recording or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast jay allen safetyfm.com So do you feel like you're missing out on what everyone is starting to do now, that live streaming thing, and you don't know where to start or what to do? I have the resource and the information to provide to you in regards on how you can stream onto 40 social media platforms all at one time. Yes, that's 40-40 social media platforms all at one time. All you'll need to do is go to safetyfm.com 
forward slash one. That's safetyfm.com forward slash one. That's O-N-E. So just in case, and you'll be able to start live streaming just like you're hearing people starting to do right now up to 40 social media platforms.